Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. Friends, uh, welcome, especially if this is your first time with us. We're so glad that you're here to celebrate this wonderful, remarkable, life-changing news that Jesus is risen. Uh, Since ancient times, uh, Christians on Easter Day have uh, done this call and response that goes like this. Uh, The leader says, Christ is risen, and the congregation responds, he is risen indeed. Do you reckon you can manage that? Here we go. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this joyous, wonderful, barely believable news that there might be hope even in the face of death. And Father, we pray that wherever we are with you this morning, that you would speak to each one of our hearts and that we would know some of the hope and the joy and the comfort and the confidence that is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Last Tuesday, as Notre Dame went up in flames and its spire came crashing down, you didn't need to be French or Christian, or Catholic, to sense the loss and the tragedy of that event. There was something that captured the world's attention there, something in its beauty and its grandeur and its transcendence that we all kind of long for. In a world where very little is sacred, there was something about that that was sacred, even for the most secular people. In a culture that is in many ways preoccupied with self. One commentator said there was something about that building that inspired a sense of something that transcended the self, something greater, something beyond. Do you see, there's, we all want to believe, we all want to believe that there's more to life than Ikea. Let me explain. <laughs> See, um, friends, if this life is all there is, right, if, um, if all there is is what you can see and touch and there's nothing more, if there is no greater hope than the here and now, then there's nothing really more to live for than just the weekend or the next public holiday, which you spend getting lost in the maze somewhere between haberdashery and the expedites and then spend Saturday night frustrated arguing about furniture that's probably going to end up in the council cleanup next year. And I think we're all sitting here going, there's got to be more to life than that. The Old Testament writer of Ecclesiastes asks a similar provocative question. He's actually building palaces, and yet he says, same question. Look, if all the palaces are going to fall down, and fire and decay and death and tragedy is going to just ruin it, what's the point? What's the point of it all? Or for a modern example, Marcus Person Uh, was the inventor of the video game Minecraft. Some of you have heard of this. Um, He sold it a few years ago for, in Australian Australian terms, 2.7 billion. Do you want to say that? (laughs) 2.7 billion dollars, Australian. And then he tweeted a couple of years ago, hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I have never felt more isolated. All the money in the world to do whatever you want, wherever you want, and yet empty and lonely. And somehow we sit here thinking, life's got to be more than that. Life's got to be more than a game of who ends up with the most points or the most coins before your life runs down. 
Maybe the women went to the tomb that first Easter morning. Maybe they were also wondering, is this all there is? They'd followed Jesus all the way from Galilee in the north. They'd believed in him. They'd supported him financially. And they had stayed when the disciples had fled. But when they went to that tomb that morning, they took spices, Luke tells us in his account, for embalming Jesus' body because they were expecting nothing more than the cold, lifeless body of Jesus. What they discover is that there's more to Jesus, there is more to life, and there is more to your future than your past. And we're going to have to think about those this morning. But let's come back to the text. I'm going to read again from Matthew 28 and verse 1. Uh, We're on page 835. If you've got one of these blue Bibles, you can jump on your smartphone and uh, Matthew 28 verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The women expected nothing more, but they discovered there was more to Jesus than they ever imagined. When they arrive at the tomb, there's an earthquake, um, there's an angel who is just like sitting on the, sitting on the stone. It's kind of a nice touch, right? Like, how can we make this a really good surprise? I'm just going to sit back on the stone. The Roman equivalent of the SAS are scared half to death, but the angel explains, the end of verse 5, you seek Jesus who was crucified, he's not here, he's risen, just as he said, come see where he was lying. And the angel invites them in to see the evidence. So this is not April Fool's Day or an episode of Punked. The women are invited to see the empty tomb. Nor did they go to the wrong tomb because um, Matthew 27, verse 61, we're told the women saw where Joseph laid the body in, in his tomb, Joseph Arimathea. And even if it were the case that they'd gone to the wrong tomb, the authorities could have just produced the body and it all would have been over back then and none of us would be here right now. Or maybe we're tempted to think, you know what, the whole thing is a fairy tale, an elaborate hoax. Celsus was a second century critic of Christianity and he thought that one of the best arguments against Christianity, why Christianity could not be true is because the written accounts of the resurrection were based on the testimony of women. And we all know that women are hysterical, Celsus said. Now in the ancient world, I'm sorry sorry to say, the testimony of women was not highly regarded. But do you see what this means? If you were concocting a hoax in the first century, you would not have written it up with women as the first eyewitnesses. 
unless they really were present and they really were there and it really did happen. And actually, the beautiful thing is that Jesus honours these women as the first witnesses of his resurrection. Verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. You see, Jesus' resurrection from the dead shows them and us there's more to Jesus. If Jesus is risen, he is more than a prophet. Uh, Jesus is more than a good moral teacher. Jesus is more than an angel. Whenever angels are kind of worshipped in the Bible, they always say, stop, 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 don't do that. You should only do that with God. But Jesus accepts worship. And the fact that Jesus met these women and they spoke with Jesus, they, they were able to continue their relationship with Jesus that they thought was all over when he died, reminds us that Christianity is more than a philosophy. It's more than a code of ethics. It is a real personal relationship with a living Lord. And it's a relationship characterised by, by worship and by joy and by wonder. In fact, that, that's what makes Christianity different to religion. And we can often see this in our prayers. The New York pastor Tim Keller uh, writes in his book, Prodigal God, think of three kinds of people. A business associate you don't really like, a friend you enjoy doing things with, and someone that you're in love with and who is in love with you. Your conversations with the business associate will be quite goal-oriented. You won't be interested in chit-chat. With your friends, you may open up your heart about some of the problems that you're having. But with your lover, you'll sense a strong impulse to speak about what you find beautiful about him or her. And he says these three kinds of people are three kinds of conversations analogous to three kinds of prayers. Um, Prayers of asking, prayers of confessing, prayers of adoring. And many of us, especially those of us who've kind of grown up with the duty and the religion, feel that we, I suppose we should pray and we better pray and we have to pray, but we do it to get, it, to get our goals from God. But it is another thing entirely to pray to God out of this intimate personal relationship of adoring this God who knows you and loves you. See, Jesus' resurrection shows us there's more to Jesus. We can have a real, living, personal relationship with him now of worship and wonder. And second thing that Jesus' resurrection shows us is that there is more to life than just this life. You know, it's interesting, the first words of both the angel and then Jesus himself are, don't be afraid. Now, of all the things in the world that we might ever be afraid of, like, I mean, death's up there, right? Um, Death's up there. Uh, The Pulitzer Prize-winning author, Ernest Becker, secular anthropologist, he said that the fear of death kind of controls us all the time, but we're in denial, right? Death is kind of one of our greatest fears. But I reckon of all the things in the world that we might ever be afraid of, a resurrection, someone back from the dead, That's a fairly reasonable thing to be afraid of, right? And yet, they're told not to fear. Because of all the things in the world, the resurrection of Jesus is exactly the reason that you never need to fear again because Jesus has dealt with our greatest fear. 
If Jesus is stronger than even death, we don't need to fear our greatest fear anymore. And Jesus' resurrection to life assures us there is more to life than just this life. The message for Jesus' disciples is, go to Galilee and there you'll see Jesus. That's actually the same hope that all of Jesus' followers are invited to have. We will see Jesus. His resurrection guarantees ours. And friends, that is rich comfort and that is real comfort for a family this week who lost their dad and grandfather from our church here. But you see, he trusted Jesus. He'll see Jesus. Actually, he's already seeing Jesus. It's that same hope that helps us to face suffering and disease and disappointment because why is it so hard to face suffering and disease? Why is it so hard to do what is right when we know it's going to cost us? And part of the reason it's so hard is because we think this life is the only life we'll ever have. And this money is the only money that we'll ever have. And this body is the only body we'll ever have. And this world is the only world that we'll ever have. But if there is more to life than this life, then we don't have to live in fear anymore. In fact, Jesus' resurrection assures us there's more to life, not just for you and me as individuals, but for the world. Now, the Christian creeds have always said, we believe in the resurrection of the body. You know, a lot of ancient, particularly Greek spirituality, despise the body. Um, Kind of, you know, the spirit and the soul is so much more pure than kind of, you know, that dirty, those dirty bodies. But it's interesting, Matthew records for us, verse 9, when the women met Jesus, they touched Jesus. They touched his feet, actually. And the fact that Jesus was resurrected in a body tells us that God still cares about our bodies and about our world. It assures us God has not given up on this beautiful, broken, physical creation. And that Jesus' resurrection is actually the guarantee of this new world of hope and joy and justice without fear and suffering and death. Over the last couple of years, there's been this whole uh, spate of TV shows about the afterlife. Um, There's one called Afterlife and Russian Doll and The Good Place and all there's heaps of them. It's always almost as if um, we're wondering, is there more to life? (laughs) You know, one article was talking about this and said, um, the world seems to be an increasingly scary place. It only makes sense that the most powerful form of pop culture right now, television, is grappling with our tense times and what may lie beyond. Another reviewer said, afterlife comedy is a thing now. The premise of uh, this um, one, uh, Miracle Workers, is that um, God, played by Steve Buscemi, interesting choice, has actually given up on the world. And uh, he, he says to heaven, incorporated, it's like, a, you know, corporation, taps the microphone, just need to let you know I've decided to blow up Earth in two weeks' time because he's fed up. Unless two employees in the answered prayer department, uh, you know, can make two awkward humans fall in love. Um, now, I haven't spoiled it. That all happens in the first episode, so you're okay. But you know what? Um, Many of us are struggling in our kind of modern, divided, crazy world, wondering it's tempting to kind of give up on it. But Jesus' resurrection assures us God has not given up on this world. 
In fact, the message of Easter is that God's given up his son for the world. And Jesus' resurrection in the body embodies the hope of the world. Jesus has a future in store for us beyond our wildest dreams if we will only trust him and follow him. You see, um, the resurrection says there's more to Jesus than we expected, there's more to life than just this life, and that actually we might be able to share in all of this because Jesus' resurrection shows us there's more to our future than our past. And we'll finish on this point. You know, um, the HR people tell me that all of those job interview questions, you know, um, can you tell us about a time uh, when you had to deal with a difficult boss? Or can you tell us about a time you got asked a really annoying interview question? You know, all those kind of... They're, they're based on the premise that future performance is, you know, um, best predicted by past behaviour. It's an interesting kind of thing to ponder in life, isn't it? I mean, is your future determined by your past? You know, Jesus' resurrection actually tells us that if we follow him, our future is more than our past. Because actually, the last time Jesus saw his disciples, they had left him for dead, literally, as they kind of fled for the hills. And the women who are the ones who had stayed with Jesus to the very end, they are the ones given this message from Jesus for the rest of us. In fact, it's repeated twice in Matthew's account in just a few verses. By the angel in verse 5, the angel says, you're, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. And then this bit. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And by Jesus himself in verse 10, the same message. Jesus says to the women, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And maybe it's repeated because it seems too good to be true. I mean, the message could easily have been, go tell them, I don't ever want to see your face again. But Jesus, who was crucified, is risen, crucified for your sin and risen to show he's paid the price for your sin and for mine and for everyone's. The resurrection of Jesus assures us of our future because it proves that Jesus' death has paid for your past. You know, another one of those afterlife TV shows is called The Good Place, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's all premised on, you know, you've got to earn up a certain amount of points or you're never going to make it into the good place. And the problem is the lead characters start realising that they're actually all a bit worse than they thought they were or wanted to admit. But Jesus, Jesus was crucified for your past and he has risen to guarantee your future. If only you'll trust him, if only you'll worship him, if only you'll follow him, because there's more to Jesus than any of us expected. His resurrection assures us that that longing we have that there is more to life is true and real, because with Jesus, there is more to him than just his death. But that hope and that forgiveness and our assurance, friends, that can all only be true if Jesus really rose.
in history 2,000 years ago. If you're not convinced of that, you'd want to look into it, wouldn't you? To not just doubt it, but to at least know it's not true. And friends, if you are someone who is convinced, then you would want to bet your life and your eternity on Jesus because he was crucified for your past and his resurrection guarantees your future. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious, precious news of Jesus' resurrection. And we thank you that it assures us there's more to Jesus, that there's more to life, and that there's more to our future than our past. Wherever we are with you, please would you help us to take that step of trust, of obedience, of following, of worship. And Father, we pray that you would fill us with the joy and the hope and the comfort that comes from knowing that Jesus is risen. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.